Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the SWW Show's movie podcast, Movie Club, where we are talking today about Gran Turismo based on a true story. Yeah, okay. Okay, this is Mike here. I want I want to start with what I didn't realize until I started seeing it more. Is based on a true story like it's legal tagline? It's the legal Everywhere. subtitle, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, it's everywhere. Like, also, I realized this the other day, and I was like, the fuck? Is it really based I mean, on your story? It, like, it's part of the name? Honestly, it makes sense, because, like, people know the name from the game. But having it be like, oh, yeah, there's actually a story behind it. Makes... It seems weird for us, because we know the background behind GT Academy? Or at least you have an idea so I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be objective. I think it's weird based upon, like, if any movie had that sometime. I don't see Shawshank Redemption based on a true story, like... Well, the problem is, like... Like I said, Gran Turismo is a massive platform. Yeah. So, like... And we've seen video game movies before, so if people were like, oh, it's just a video game movie... Like, that's not what it is. Like, it barely has... I mean, it has stuff to do with the game, but... You know, it's a story because of the game. It's not... It's not like Tomb Raider or Uncharted, where... You know, the the movie is the game. It's like, with this, it's... Gran Turismo is kind of the... um, The set piece to Mm -hmm. the story itself. So. Well, also, I wanted to point out the thing that I texted you the other day because I wanted just to be like how I think it's pretty um, wild, too, is I feel like this is the first film that I truly thought in a while that I was legitimately seeing like highway billboards for like not in like city centers, but I think it's a little more common. Like, I mean, like on the highway ones. So I'm very curious, like. Sony's marketing, and also, I bet you, because it's racing, I'm probably seeing advertisements probably a little more out of city centers than you probably would expect, just because racing tends to, like, be a more, like, rural and suburban thing. Racing draws, man. It does. That's what people don't like to admit, like, you know, yeah, okay, NASCAR's in kind of the doldrums right now, but, dude, if we go back to 2005, I want people to, and thank god nascar did this it's their 75th anniversary this year they released a website that is the 75 greatest races in nascar history go Mm -hmm. pull up any race between 03 and 07 you'll see fully packed stadiums fully packed infields and I can guarantee you the numbers on TV were in the tens of millions of viewers. Like I remember growing up, I don't know if it was the same, but like my dad every week would would just have, every week would have like a race on. Like it was just a very common like it's like Saturday or Sunday, and like oh this NASCAR race on. Yeah. Like like that was not an uncommon sight in the slightest. Uh, but yeah, we are here to discuss Grand Turismo based on a true story. I'm just gonna fucking say it. Um. 
Uh, and so yeah, the, the film literally said, so it had some early seasons in the U.S. started on August 11th. Uh, it formally came out on the 25th, but it was basically, you could have seen it on the weekends before if you really wanted to look like in both cities in the U.S. Um, so that was a very interesting kind of thing. Uh, it has a budget of 60 million. We don't know the box office when we're talking, but it's currently tracking at 22 million this weekend. So it seems like this film will be successful. And honestly, that's not that big of a budget, which I was surprised by the 60 million budget. So I was going to say 60 million seems kind of cheap. But then again, like. There's what, four sets? Sure, but you have Neil Blomkamp doing <laughs> he's half of the budget. Well, but Neil Blom- Neil Blomkamp is the master of turning a dollar into a hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, famously, District Nine has like a twenty-five million dollar budget. It's a super small yeah. budget. No, that is that is valid. Uh, it's probably. I'd argue the greatest uh, original sci-fi movie in the past 40 years. Do you think it's better than stuff like Independence Day? Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Because like with with District 9, it is he created a world. Like, Independence Day was just, oh, there's aliens coming to, you know, the modern world. He literally went out there, created an alien race, created, like, relationships, and, like, went above and beyond to the point where it feels like, as you're watching that, it's just, you're in that world. Right? It's not Independence Day where, oh, hey, aliens are trying to invade Earth. It's, this is a world, this has been happening, like, like I said, those relationships are established, you know, the the pecking order is established. Um, You don't need everything explained, because context is, is great in that movie. Hmm. Whereas this film might have some of the worst context that he's done. So let's dig into it. We are here to talk about Gran Turismo. I'm going to just give AJ the floor because he said going to this, he needs to vent. AJ, tell us about your experience. Right. So GT Academy started in 2013. Okay. Actually, it might have been a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier than that. It started in Gran Turismo 5 on the PlayStation 3. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're saying GT Academy started with GT7 on the PlayStation 5. Okay, yeah. Holy wrong. Like, about yeah, about the, modernizing a story, I at least ex- understand the logistical, like, cross promotion reasons, but it is pretty funny. About the only thing that is mildly correct timeline-wise, is that the Academy did end up driving GTRs. Mm. That's the only thing. Because it was a cross-promotion between Nissan, Polyphony, and Sony to find, you know, a real 
racer in Yawn and to promote the new GTR. So I guess kind of whenever the R35 came out is around when GT Academy was kicking off. Hmm. So there's your one semblance of accuracy in this film, other than it being based on the actual person. Everything else is like, oh yeah, they're driving an R35 against like C8 Corvettes and Lambos and R8s and like all these brand new cars. And I'm like, no, this thing was... The reason they can make a movie is because Yan is like coaching now. Right? Like he's done this whole process. It's been years. If they had done it properly and shown like, okay, well, they start with, you know, the 350Zs and then work their way up towards the GTR because they didn't just go straight into a GTR. That would be insane. Um, the average human being can't handle driving a GTR on the limit. Um, handle the onboarding for that. Uh, oh God. But, but so I'm, I'm going to say the basic. I think I'm objectively more this film than you are but you know what i think this film is good because it's fun i don't think this film is like a it's one of the films that like when a non-scientist sees like a scientific film we all go oh that made make sense and every scientist's head hurts i think that's what this film is well especially because even bigger pet peeve so the one track they get right is the red bull ring because it looks like they actually filmed at the Red Bull Ring. When they go to Le Mans, that is nothing like Le Mans. Like, it does not have hairpin turns leading to the front straight. It has two chicanes leading to the front straight. But it is not this weird, like, switchback that they needed for the movie, right? It honestly looks like they filmed that at um, Daytona. Uh, or maybe somewhere in the UK, because I know there's, there's several tracks that have a layout like that. But I was watching that, and my brain was hurting, because I'm like, no, that's not... That's, that's not how this track goes. And as I'm sitting there, and just like... getting pulled out of... You know, uh, my immersion because of everything wrong. It was. That was like the icing on the cake, right? Because that's the pivotal, like, that's how they win and get on, or they don't win, they pass uh, the guy in the third to get on the podium. And it's like, no, he did make a dive bomb into the chicane, but I think that's even more of a cool thing like maybe it's because they just couldn't film at Lama, which is possible i'll say that one no. um so yes another thing of Lama specific obviously the other big race film that i think there's a few big race films recently but i think the the obvious recent racing film of the last half decade is ford versus ferrari yep how do you feel like that handled stuff like Lama comparatively to this they were smart. They did a lot of that stuff in the dark. Mm -hmm. 
So, and like, Lama has changed a lot since the 60s. Um, back in the 60s, the Malsan Strait was a strait. It was like, I forget exactly how long it was, but, you know, cars were getting to be approaching or exceeding 400 kilometers an hour on the back straight. Hmm. And so they added the chicanes in there to kind of slow down. They're still getting to be like 350, 360, but still it's... Um, so that's changed. Um, the chicanes weren't in there. Like Original Lama is very much akin to like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway where there are there were basically two super long straights with some turns in between them so like that stuff was easier for them to kind of fudge in Ford versus Ferrari because they did in the dark or you know they were just showing the front straight or the back straight with that one yeah, you kind of play a little more with this. They're showing the race here. It's also interesting too. Like he did go a lot. It's it was. It, I don't know. Like it is funny how like the whole like. How do you feel they handled that? Actually, the the Lamont part and like obviously like the deaths and all that. Like how do you feel that was handled? Kind of respectfully, obviously being a real thing that happened. Or um, so I was really wondering if they were going to cover his crash at the ring. I'm glad they did. Because, you know, that's the unfortunate reality, right? Like, they say it in the movie, right? Like, it was an accident. You know, you can't be... Um, you can't have that weighing on your shoulders as the driver. Right? Like, like it's not something you did at your... You, like, it's something technically you fall, but it's not like a thing that you, like purposely did it's a like it happens you're driving hundreds of miles an hour like yeah and i mean like part of the so with that ring crash um his car did take flight and smash through the barrier hmm. the problem with the nurburgring that um i think a lot of people don't realize a couple things about it one it's a public highway um it's a toll road and two, it's fucking massive. It's like 30-something kilometers. So it gets into the sticks. So part of the problem was he crashed in an area where there wasn't safety equipment e like readily available or easily uh, available. Mm -hmm. So if I remember right, the spectator died because of their injuries. It wasn't like the car immediately crushed him. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, and I mean, the I'm trying to remember, like it's that race is good for one spectator death every two to three years because of something like that. Um, because it's physically impossible, and by that I mean like the laws of physics don't allow. Um, you to catch those cars like, and keep them in the track if they're going that fast. Um, so there has been some talk of like maybe slowing the cars down or you know doing certain things, but that takes the uh, 
sporting aspect out of it if suddenly they can't run a fast car because they're being limited. Um, so, yeah, I mean, racing has always had danger. Um, it's part of the the draw to motorsports um, because there is that there's always that potential that um, shit could hit the fan and uh, someone not walk away. It sucks when it happens. Like, you know, you, you hate to see it. Um, I'm trying to remember what was I watching where a spectator died recently. And it was like, uh, you know, you just... It, it's tough to cover as well. Right, it's like, how do you handle that as a broadcaster? Do you just come out and say it? Because if you do, that's a little weird and maybe disrespectful. Do you not say anything? In which case, people could say, oh, well, you're trying to hide that someone was killed. Like, There's no winning from that point of view either. So, but yeah, I mean... And speaking of commentators, like, I know they had some big names come in and do voice work for it. But it just felt like, I remember the commentators being a little more warm to the idea of Jan um, when he was racing, not like just trying to rip his heart out and just bemoan him at every opportunity that he got. So the fact that the commentary was like 90% just shitting on him, mm. and then, holy cow, they made it to the podium. It's like, you guys have spent the entire movie shitting on this dude, and then you try to save face? Like, you know, I get that maybe that was the the script, but it was just like, that's not... Well, I gotta from ask, what I, remember, I think it's wasn't. a bit... I think it's a very valid critique of this film, and I'm kind of curious. And I think it's kind of one of the things I said that I think it's an enjoyable film, but I think there was genuine problems, is that, to me, one of the biggest things with this film is it feels like almost a film from, like, the 90s or 2000s when... Like, this is, like, of the Sony production films, I feel like it feels like the... Wild compared to Twisted Metal. It feels like the least mature and least fleshed out um, because of the sense of it feels like a caricature and it, maybe it's this extra thing because it's this weird sense of like it's a real story but they have to make it they know it's a game audience coming like like to make it more like that kind of gamey like moments but like, I think that's the big thing to me I see with this film I go not bad but I think this film is what we were scared PlayStation Productions would be almost I mean I was fine with most of the film other than the guy playing Yen, like, could not figure out how his face was supposed to work the entire film. The facial expressions were just... weird, to say the least. <laughs> um, but, I mean, really, other than that, like... and the whole... evading the cops... using the UI... like, or having that as a UI thing, like, that was weird. Mm -hmm. 
but I think them handling, oh, they have the, you know, they have the pip above the car. And it's the GT font. Or they have the racing line, which I think, like, the fact that they did that helps helps explain to people that don't understand mm. why he would do certain things. Like, yeah. Why you would also, go to certain it, areas of the track. The other thing I wanted to show too, which I think is funny, I don't, I didn't like read really a ton of reviews, which I not to for the stuff, but like I saw like a few like critics kind of talking about the film, and what I find interesting too is they were all talking about like commercial critics that are like, yeah, and this for a video game film, there's really not that many game references. Where everyone who knows video games is like, this film is just game references like the entire time. Oh yeah. And Which I think, I think that's, it's really funny how that how like apparently that's subtle enough that only we caught it. Yeah, I think the problem is it's <laughs> the references are for the nerds, <clears throat> right? Like they're not for your typical fan base. Like you know the uh, him opening the fan attack, which I'd have to look. To throw this into even more of like time loopholes, I don't think that wheel was out when when GT Academy started. Um, In this world, when GT Academy started, yeah, <laughs> I was looking at it going, I don't think that wheel was out, but I I don't use Fanatec, so I don't know their system very well. In terms uh, of their no, history, no. so it is it is funny because like. I was thinking of like how they're using the modern GT and stuff like that in this. Um, would be f- like, I think it also makes sense because it's really easy to explain to like an audience kind of like, oh, they know what video games look like now. I like the idea though in my head that we took a PS3 GT and had to go to a general audience and be like, and we all thought this was realistic. Well, I mean, I guess the problem is right. Like, if you made this a true period piece. Hmm. And had it set in 2010 or 2013, whatever the actual GT Academy actual story. thing was, yeah. It's kind of tough to say that it's a period piece because not a ton of technology has changed. Not um, a ton, I think the you'll I think you'd probably see the difference in like visual stuff. I bet you like in like equipment in the cars has probably changed a lot from a communication system. Oh, I don't think we had. You don't think I, I do not think we had as clear as audio as we do now into oh, yeah. cars or the, oh, yeah. or the camera feed or like all that little stuff where it's like that does matter. Um, the camera feed stuff is a little new in terms of it being high def, but uh, like 2010. Yeah, I mean. They were tearing apart. Um, Bose uh, pilot headsets and putting them in cars, so the audio was mm. clear. Like that was never that hasn't been a problem for a while. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, like. Kind of the most recent thing in terms of camera technology is the prototype cars use a camera for their uh, review mirror. Right. Um, because you can't see out the back of them. Right, right, right. But really, other than that the major changes have been in safety stuff that you wouldn't be able to see. Or like arrow or um, performance stuff. So. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, it was like, how do you? And I think it's funny because right, he goes to Japan and he buys a Walkman that is from the era of when GT Academy started. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, okay, so hold on. This is a modern movie, but they're in Japan and they're buying technology that's like 10 years old. I wish I wish there probably was a little more clarity on the like timeline of this. Yeah. Of like of like either make it now, which I do think there's validity to like updating a story by a decade sometimes. Like like you see this a lot of times in biopics if it like makes sense for the narrative, as long as you get the yeah. trucks there. But like I would just rather you be consistent, right? Either you're updating this for story reasons or you're not. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem, right, was, to me at least, okay, it's a modern story. Nissan is phasing out the GTR. They're phasing out the R35. And that's going to be your kind of um, second main character in this movie, is that car. Hmm. Um. Which, funnily enough, like, it's still raced to this day, the GTR. But it's mm-hmm. so old at this point that it's kind of like a relic to see oh, it that's in a funny. race. So, like, from the reality aspect of there are R35s running against C8 Corvettes. But also... I don't think there are any privateer C8 teams. So that was a little weird. Um, Also, them just like. Essentially magic wanding away. Oh, you're going from a GT car to a prototype for Le Mans. (laughs) And then just, oh, yeah, Kappa happens to be doing the same exact thing. And you're just like. Why did you not? You know, why didn't you say that you were going to be running? Yeah, like, 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 like going back to, as I said before, comparing to like Ford v Ferrari, I think that film did a better job of explaining, oh, we're in a different race. Oh, the cars look different, too, of like where this one is like, so where are we going? Like, like, like as a viewer, I think I would just kind of view it all as the same, like basically as we view like different NASCAR tracks, like I wouldn't notice anything shifted prior. I wasn't paying enough attention. Yeah. I wish they would have done the uh, the Delta Wing because that was the dumbest thing ever. And they had to run it one year where it was like it was a four wheeled car, but it was basically a dick where the <laughs> nose was super long and skinny and then the back was like normal track width. It looks ridiculous. Go look it up if you want to uh, see what I'm talking about. It's called the Delta Wing. And I I don't know if Yan drove it, but GT Academy did drive it. it. It's ridiculous. It's the craziest thing. And I guess really other than Magic wanting it and saying, oh, well, you have to be in the top class. Hmm. Which. Doesn't make sense because they could have podiumed in the GT class like. You know, that's the great thing about endurance racing is it's multi-class. So 
you could have been like, oh, well, they may not have the talent for prototypes, so they can just run GTs and they can get on the podium. And then bam. Yeah, like you really don't have to explain to someone how like race levels work because like just pretend it's the biggest dude. You don't have to say it, but like just be like, ah, it's one we care about. Well, I think the problem would have been how do you portray that to an audience that doesn't understand multi-class racing? Like, why is he in that car and there are other cars that are faster than him and he's not in that car? Um, I hate to, I, this is not a good comparison. Explain it like how we explain to people how triathlon works, where like you're in different part, like they're different, like, but explain them how each of those phases would be different people, kind of. Well, the triathlon analogy would be like, the or problem. I would call this multiple races would yeah. be kind of the way I'd explain to someone be like, oh, really what happens in this race is there are three races going on at once. All you care about is the car that matches you. Yeah. I mean, a triathlon example would be like. They're all the same distance, but everyone's doing a different discipline. Like. It'd be like, oh, hey, this person is swimming the whole time. This person's riding a bike the whole time. and This person's running the whole time. Like, well, why? Well, that's just how it works. Some of it, you just have to go to people. Ah, that's how it works. That just is. Yeah. Uh, the problem is like, it's a clean, but like, I think it's the best way to do it. I think the problem is if you had made this movie pre COVID. You could. You could go in knowing the audience may not fully understand, but they could get it. Hmm. Post-COVID, like, one dude was on his phone for basically the whole movie. So, By the way, m- movie theaters, I know you're all short-staffed to flying fuck. I need yeah. some of you to, like, get the cattle prod, you see a cell phone, just go, like, doing what you gotta do. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. Like, you have to explain everything five times because you know people aren't paying attention. Or you know, hey, this is going to be on streaming. People are going to pause it. They're going to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate that we have to make movies now with, with audiences that have a two-second attention span. You know, like, well, the thing I hate is because I'm scared they're going to win is you have the crazy people who are trying to convince movie theaters to put up subtitles or some shit like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill one of you if this happens. I mean, there is some validity to having subtitles, like. Not for every theater. Because the most open to the idea that you could have, like how we have, I think we have at least some movie theaters do like I I forget they call them like sensory movie theaters with ideas. It's a little bit quieter and they keep the lights on for people with like autism and stuff like that. If you want to have those types of screenings, I'm actually not as offended by it. I mean, more like you have people who just be like, I should go to any movie and get this. I'm like, no, no, you should not. Everyone's got main character syndrome. Because they spent two and a half years locked away in their own house. I think that's to be fair. We'll go on this stage in a second. That problem was already starting. It just accelerated the problem. I mean, that problem definitely existed pre-COVID. The difference is... The difference is everyone just called it out. Right. Because the vast majority of people were like, that's just stupid. Why? What? Like. 
you know, why are you doing this? Post-COVID, it's just everyone is like, I want everything now. It's my world. You know, my algorithms tell me that I can do this. Everyone's just tunnel vision themselves into thinking that they're right all the time. So. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, this, like, This movie is good, and I would recommend it to people. It's just the gripes that I have with it are because I know the story. I feel like the less you know racing, the higher I can recommend this film. Um, I would say the less you know about the actual GT Academy, the better. But like, like, I'm, like to me, I think this film is like one of those questionable with it's not questionable but like a little more shady with this history but a fun watch so it's, it's like yeah. when i watch like a random like i put on a random biopic that i have no clue how fucking accurate this is it's one of those where you're like if it's a good movie i still enjoy it for the movie but i understand i'm not getting a history lesson out of this one yeah that's that's a good way to look at it also i just gotta say the cast on this, while small, which I'm pretty sure is part of its budget. Yeah. I gotta admit, uh, so David Harbour is someone who has been talked about recently how after Stranger Things he's gonna be done on the TV and just wants to go to film. Yeah. He's one of those people that I genuinely think when I more I see him, I go, I think he could play a lot of interesting characters. I think usually that rougher edge than Proverbs reasons. But I, I do think he's gonna be a very interesting actor to kind of keep an eye on kind of as he tries to venture more into some films. Yeah, I just, you know, the problem for me is. And maybe it's because he's chosen these roles, but. It's it's not like he's. Uh, stretching himself with these. Roles, oh, yeah. Actually. But I meant more like I think he's fun enough, though. I think that's part of it, too, when I look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, it's not Dave Bautista having his first major film be Blade Runner 2042. Hmm. You know. And then being in Dune. Um, and then also that what was it? Was it a Shyamalan movie? That he was just in? Uh, Knock at the Cabin? Yeah. Whoever directed that, like it was a horror movie that was okay from what I heard. I'm pretty uh, sure. I think you're. It's at least it's either produced by Shyamalan or written by him. Yeah. Anyway, look. so uh, he's, directed. Okay. Yeah. It's a Shyamalan film. You know, so he's tested himself with different styles. Mm -hmm. David Harbor just seems to be David Harbor. Like, and. Uh, and I think that is a very valid critique. I also do generally think there is a point sometimes for actors like that. Like, like we all have yeah. a character actor that we go, we know what he like. Good example. Johnson. If I see someone like, OK, I was that works, too. I was going like Joe Pesci. If I see Joe Pesci in a film and I, I mean, we know what Joe Pesci is. Yeah. No one is looking at Joe Pesci for a unique insight for experience in a rom-com. No, that's not what we're here for. Like, we're <laughs> here from being an idiot. Yeah. Like, like, 
So that, that's what I think I said. Also, Orlando Bloom. I yes. like. He's not in this, but in the advertising, he looks so much like a maybe a bit of this. He looks so much like a cartoon villain. It's not even funny at points. Well, and that's the funny thing, right? Like <laughs> they have that. Um... What was the uh, the scene where he's like, are you sure this is the guy we want? Mm. You know, going wholly against the whole idea of what the program is for. He's like, we want someone that's good in front of the camera. And I'm like, no, you don't. You want the best racer, right? And then he's it's like, well. But he's only like a thousandth off. And you're just like, that's. That doesn't matter. You know, it's it's still that idea of. You know, it's the problem that McLaren ran into with uh, World's Fastest Gamer. That felt staged at times. Like a lot of that contest felt like, okay. They picked the guys that they wanted and, you know, knew that they could media train them or already had some media training. Right, like, you know, maybe they were streamers or maybe they were something else, you know. And, uh, you know, so they didn't, like, I don't think any of their graduates have really panned out. From yeah. the most fastest gamer. No. Um, also, the fact that Yan did all of his stunt driving is incredible. Yeah, no, like, so it's that, it's great that they're like, hey, we're too. making a movie about you. You want to do the stunt driving? Like, yeah, no, that, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, right, especially for him, he's like, the stunt driving, I'm assuming a lot of times it's easier than actual races. <laughs> um... That's the funny thing. It isn't always because they're like, okay, well, we need you to do this. She does the camera shots. Fuck yeah, because yeah, yeah, like because a lot of stuff like, like a lot of cool shit happens on accident. It's really hard to do cool shit on purpose. Yeah. Like, like the infamous film one that I think everyone points to, right, is the Spider-Man one where Tobey Maguire actually had to catch all that shit, and like it took hundreds of takes because like they're like. Fuck, he's got to keep trying. And I'm wondering how much with the racing they probably had to be like, we missed that, t- we missed the, like, the turn right there. Try again. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's super tough, so. Um, because you're like, okay, well, we need you to go on this line. And they can tell you, and he can make it happen. But it'll be like, oh, well, you know, focus wasn't pulled right, or. Or even the speed you're going, the camera. Yeah. Maybe like hit at the wrong time to click, like all that little stuff. We're like, you know, you were two miles an hour too fast into this corner. You're like, okay, we missed our cue on our end, and now yeah. we gotta do it again. That's yeah, like that, that is, would be tough. I do not it, envy the guys that have to do uh, stunt driving in racing films. Guys doing stunt driving in every other film seems like the greatest job in the world. 
in the clothes like a street view and you're like the only car with them and you yeah. just have a few cars chasing you with cameras you're like ah, i have the fucking best job in the world but yeah so it was cool to see that they did that um i can't believe they found an actor that's actually taller than him <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know he was tall. He was like 6'2 or 6'3, I think, in the competition. So, which is really tall for a racing, uh, racing driver. Um, but the guy that played him is like 6'4. So it accentuates that even more. And I'm just like... You know, it, it was just funny to watch some of the interactions where like, they clearly got people that were actors in actor heights and then they're like okay we need an actor that's six four six five to just accentuate the height difference but yeah like i said earlier it's a movie i would recommend to a lot of people it was it was fun when you take out the inaccuracies and the the nice thing is the inaccuracies don't diminish the film mm -hmm. unless you know what they're supposed to be and you're like well that's not what it should be but you know all of the all of the changes they had to make you could understand why they made them except for the time setting i was like why don't you just set it back in 2013 it would have been way way cooler but yeah that is Grand Turismo. Go go check it out in a local cinema near you. Uh, and we will see what's next from PlayStation Productions. I'll be very curious, kind of. Um, also, if the damn strikes ever end, we ever get new films. Yeah. How long until we have to do the COVID stuff of you just start finding old films because we're out of new stuff? Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> Maybe we'll start watching some indie films. Can we happen? Yeah, we will catch you guys next time. This episode is partially brought to you by the Humble Choice Program. Did you know Humble Bundle has a great monthly subscription service that lets you get a ton of video games every single month? That's right, from plans range from $5 to 20 bucks a month, you get a hold of a bunch of free games they have available to you. And you can use our code down in the description below to go and sign up. It would help our podcast and help you see what great games are available for you this month. The SW Show and all of its affiliate podcasts are podcasts by me, Mike Maroney, and AJ Losey by sometimes by contributors, including Corey King. You can follow the SWW Show on social media at the SWW Show, or sooner or later, you go to patreon.com slash SWW to help us out. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day.